Welcome to the Mr. R Show, brought to you by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. If you're an accounting firm owner or manager seeking harmony between work and life while optimizing profitability, you're in the right place. Our goal, to empower you with the knowledge and tools necessary to enhance both your personal and financial well-being. In every episode, we bring you insights from esteemed individuals in the field who share their valuable expertise and practical steps. Join us on this journey as we collaborate to revolutionize your business and enrich your life. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Mr. R Show, brought to you by the team here at the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. I am John Trapolsky, one of the co-hosts here on the show. Chris Picuro, the founder here at MRR Institute, will be joining me here shortly. Today, we're going to jump into the top five advanced strategies for real estate investors. So you REIs out there, grab the pen, grab the paper, grab the coffee, grab the water, stretch out a little bit before you sit down, throw on the headphones, maybe go for a run, sit down at a desk, a little drive while you're listening to this. We're about to throw a bunch of information your way. I'm really excited to do this one. Me and Chris are going to be talking through this one together. Um, Chris has done this presentation multiple times around the country. Um, I've been with him on a handful of these. And every time we hear some of the best questions and comments from the audience, whether it's virtual or in person, that really we keep modifying. We keep building on this presentation um, based on those comments. So when we're done with this episode, definitely reach out to us. Let us know what you thought about this. If you have any of those questions. I will give you our email at the end of this show and the best way you can contact our team with any questions you may have. So without further ado, you will be hearing from Chris Picuro, really the man who needs no introduction on this show here momentarily as we jump into these advanced strategies for real estate investors. So sit back, take the notes, enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. As you heard here in the preview Excellent topic we're going to jump into. I got my partner in crime here, Chris Pakira. How are we, Chris? I am awesome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. So this one's a special episode. I know we're doing a couple of these recordings this week. We're actually at Taxposium here in San Antonio, Texas for a couple of days. I'm not going to put Chris too high on a pedestal, but he's actually going to be out on stage here in a couple of days in front of a couple other people giving a very similar presentation. So... You get a little preview, or I should say after the fact, you get a little recap. We'll call it a recap of this one. But today, as you heard and read, we're going to jump into the top five real estate investors. So REIs, if you're not familiar with that term, REIs, the advanced tax strategies. So top five real estate investors, advanced tax strategies. So there's some great stuff in here. A lot of content we're going to throw at you. So again, don't be afraid of that pause button. Hit the pause button. Take some notes. Awesome stuff. Chris, I know you've implemented pretty much all, actually all of this throughout your practice and your career. So I'm excited to hear you run through this with us. And we really don't have too much of a agenda or a flow to this specifically, but Chris is going to walk us through this. So Chris, kind of open up the brain a little bit. Let us inside. Tell us how you do this, man. Like, where, where should we start? You tell us. You well, let's start by, well, we exchanged pleasantries. Thanks. To, thank you, everyone, every, uh, all of our tax and accounting professionals listening to our show today. I've spent... Uh, Many, many years as a practicing CPA in the majority of the last decade, specifically helping real estate investor clients. All right, you can start wherever and I could stitch it together. So wherever you're comfortable starting. 
I've spent the majority of the last decade specifically helping real estate investor clients. And our practice, our private practice, focuses in on tax planning and strategy, uh, as well as uh, tax preparation. Thus, that membership-based subscription business model, which I will, I will stand on my soapbox on. But I, what I wanted to do is, is spread some, some love, spread some knowledge to the practitioner community. Um, we plan to have other people with, in other industries on the show in the future uh, as well. But today, I would bet that almost everyone listening has run into that client that's a real estate investor. Maybe they started off with one property. Maybe they have a business and they bought a commercial property and they liked real estate and then they started growing and growing and you might have gotten out of your comfort zone. And you don't want to lose that client. You don't want to lose that relationship. So we want to make sure that you're aware of the advanced tax strategies for real estate investors. There's some basic ones out there, um, some tax elections and that sort of stuff, some de minimis safe harbor stuff. So we're talking, but we're going to talk about advanced tax strategies. And typically, in in our world, um, an advanced tax strategy is going to going to entail a multi-person implementation with 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 team members now before we get started for those accountants cpas enrolled agents tax pros etc that work a lot with real estate investors you are probably familiar with bigger pockets bigger pockets is the largest real estate community i've had the privilege of meeting um luckily based not not because i knew these guys chris green and brandon turner um i'm in franklin tennessee and Luckily, I have clients and friends that, that work with them, and they've come to speak to our real estate meetup group. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so if you know them and you know Bigger Pockets, you know that that's a huge community. Um, so I thought, okay, let's talk about value. You know, we talk about how does a real estate investor, we're going to call it an REI, John, how do they see value? So we went out, we went out, the Teaching Tax Flow team, which is which is a sister company, and asked Bigger Pockets, I'm going to quote this on one of their forums. What adds value to you as a client from your tax professional? The responses, John, I know you took, took a look at some of these responses. We couldn't have written a better response, I don't think, than some of the ones that we're going to talk about. Right and there, there was a lot of them. These are just a sample of, of a couple of them that were out there. If I remember right, they just kept flowing in, which is great. So They did keep flowing in. Uh, so... How do, the, how do clients see value? The, the, these are quotes from actual real estate investors, these same real estate investors that you're going to be working with from, as their tax professional. Here they are, and I'm quoting, pre-planning, this was instrumental for me with planning ahead with my tax advisor. My goals, in parentheses, my goals, and advise how to do it as a small business owner. Oh, by the way, John, we might have some... Uh, not. We might have some, not the best well-written English, which probably isn't the best hey, English. Hey, but we're, we're literally quoting these people. It is authentic. And that's the important part too, is just if, you know, for anybody that's listening to this or, or those of you that have obviously been, you know, in conversations with Chris or, or we've actually gone through with our mastermind group that's coming up here soon that we've opened that up. I mean, we've had some of these calls with applicants for that group and there's so much value on these relationships that it's basically just money sitting on the table with some very, very good clients, potentially. Here's another answer. I'm looking for a CPA that doesn't just do my tax as well, which seems to be both CPAs. 
Most REI are looking for CPs that will serve as tax strategists and advisors. From business structure to investment strategy, this is a huge area that REI are willing to pay a little more for. Let me give you another. I'm not going to read all of them. We got, like I said, John, you said we had 25 responses. I'll read a couple of the smaller, a couple of smaller ones. In every deal, the investor has a partner, the IRS. That partner wants frequent updates, and your tax person keeps this partner happy. My CP is a great member of my team. Primarily, he, or, or she, of course, is a huge saver of time. It would take a month of evenings for me to complete my tax returns. I get that part of my life back and review his work. Also, when I do new things, he already knows how those work. As a super simple example, he received money in a K-1, or I received money in a K-1 that had some foreign stock sales with foreign taxes taken out. He was able to fill those forms incorrectly, and I would have been struggling for quite a long time. That's incredible. And those last couple are, are really good because they kind of what we were just talking about, right? They really solidify just the the amount or the value that these individuals are placing on that. So it's a it's a great opportunity, I'd say. I'm going to go with one more just because this is the Mr. R Show, and you know we we put an emphasis on value pricing and, and really helping our community find the uh, share the value with their clients. Quick, this is the last one, quote, quick answers to tax consequences of an action I'm considering, not invoicing me for those one or two emails per year and coming up with at least one idea every year that saves me the most of arm than what he charges. So saving more, saving more than what he charges. Sorry about that. They typed that in wrong, but we wanted us to be raw. So yeah, so that's how REI clients see value. Um, once, and we're going to jump into these five top five uh, ta advanced tax strategies for REIs. But something I think that's important, and it gets real tricky for us to consider as, as tax pros, is the IRS definition of real estate professional status. Now, we all know in, in the real estate world, we call that rep status. Rep status taxpayers, or taxpayers of their rep status spouse, really play in, in different rules than normal taxpayer where real estate activities are, are by default um, passive income. So... I know this is going to get technical. I promise we're going to get more creative soon. But um, we're, we're reading under Treasury Regulation Section 469C7. This is coming right from the IRS. You have to determine, let me take a step back. You have to determine if the, if the client you're working with is a rep status person or is not a rep status person. Okay, that because that really plays a role, in my opinion, in the tax planning and strategy available. Basically the fork of the road, if you will. Absolutely. That's a great way to put it. So we have a marketing guy with us. Hey, you know, I get crafty. I, I don't say much, but when I do, I hope it's impactful, right? It's very impactful. At least, at least, at least on air. <laughs> hey, like again, we're live at an event here. We're, there is going to be no editing done on this show. So if something comes out of our mouth, we're just running with that, right? Exactly. We got. We have no cough or sneeze button. Mm -hmm. But to qualify as a rep status, there are two. There are two things that a taxpayer has to accomplish. One, to close. Um, more than ha one half of the personal services performed in the trades or businesses by the taxpayer during such tax year are performed in real property trades or businesses in which the taxpayer materially participates. We're going to talk a little bit about, about material participation in the at the end. So what does that mean? 
in layman's turn, 50% of the time a taxpayer spends working, 50% or more has to be in real estate related activities. If it's not, you can't be rep status. We have, um, we have some medical doctor clients that, that spend a lot of time in real estate, spend a thousand hours in real estate, but they're also a full-time medical doctor. They're going to meet the hour requirement, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but they're not doing it more than 50% of the time. So they're not going to be rep status. And number two, so over 50%, taxpayer performs more than 750 hours of service during the taxable year in real trade property trades or businesses in which the taxpayer materially participates. Again, we're going to talk about material participation in a couple minutes. Now, according to IRS Treasury Reg 469C7, sounds like a football play. <laughs> there are different types of activities that qualify for real property trades or business, which is, and I'm going to rip through them here, um, real property development, redevelopment, construction, reconstruction, acquisition, conversion, rental operation, management, leasing, or brokerage trade or business. Final thing, taxpayer must own 5% or more of the business for the hours to count. This is a question we get in our community a lot. Hey, I'm own, uh, I, I own a part of an LLC. I invest in a syndication, but I only own 1% of it. Does my time for that count towards my 750 hours? In that case, it would not because you have to own more than 50% or more of the business. Or I'm, a w, I'm a, an employee uh, of a C corporation. I, I'm a property manager. I spend 2,000 hours a year in property management, which clearly would, is one of the activities that qualifies. It's more than 50%. Do you own the corporation? Do you own any part of it? No. Then those hours don't count. So you have to own that 5%. I imagine with syndications, it's probably very common that you have those very, very fractional ownerships. Correct. So three prongs, Johnny T. Material participation in which you own more than 5%, spend more than half your professional time, more than 750 hours performing the uh, requisite real property trades or business. Okay, so that's your first situation is, are you rep status or are you not? So we talked about, we know that the tax... We know what real REIs are looking for for value. We know how to identify a rep status versus a non-rep status person. All right, so we've got that covered. Now let's talk about, we know what these REIs are looking for. They, they already said they're looking for tax planning and strategy. They're looking for you as their tax professional to go beyond just the tax preparation. So we said, okay. Well, what's tax planning and strategy? I see people all the time that are tax strategists, tax coaches, tax planners. But how do you define something that's somewhat intangible, right? Well, you know how we like to quote sources. So I'm going to quote you again. This is probably the most quoting we're ever going to do in one of our podcasts. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. I'm going to quote you that you said that on our next one. Oh, that's, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> I will leg up on the next one over. I'll take it. Um, so what is tax planning a strategy? We liked Investopedia as far as, as some type of source and their definition of tax planning a strategy is quote, tax planning is the analysis of a financial situation or plan to ensure that all elements work together to allow you to pay the lowest tax possible. In teaching tax flow, we call that legally and ethically reduce the tax you pay in your lifetime. So lowest tax possible. A plan that minimizes how much you pay in taxes is referred to as tax efficient. Tax planning should be 
an essential part of an individual investor's financial plan. So this is a big part of your financial plan. We know that taxes a lot of times are your biggest bill. Reduction of tax liability and maximizing the ability to contribute to retirement plans are crucial for success. Now, there are many tax strategists and planners out there that have differing opinions on retirement plan contributions. Um, but I think contributing to some type of retirement plan, be it a Roth, be it a defined benefit for simple IRA, is important. So that's what tax planning and strategy is. It is truly a dynamic a dynamic thing. So, um, so yeah, so we've identified, you know, what REIs are looking for, rep status. We know what tax planning and strategy is. And now let's think about why is that important? And Chris, I love hearing tax planning and strategy because it's almost, you know, a lot of people say uh, accountants and, and CPAs that are really very, very good at looking in the past, but maybe historically not so great about looking into the future. So what you're talking about is really just drawing that line in the sand, right? So submitting IRS forms, in a sense, is looking into the past. Tax planning and strategy is literally binoculars looking forward down the road. Yes, absolutely. And they work together. Um, now, if you, as a tax practitioner, you've probably heard a million times that tax planning is more valuable than tax preparation, right? But the the forecasting, the value add, the strategy is more valuable to a client than tax compliance work, which is preparing the tax returns, which it takes a lot of skill. And you really need to understand the tax law and how to prepare those forms to do the proper planning. Uh, but Intuit came out, the Intuit accountants, the, the tax planning and advisory insights had a tax planning and advisory insights survey recently, very recently. And I'm going to give you some of the very important things that that survey, that survey came up from. Feeling like family feud. Survey says. <laughs> so respondents share that tax planning and advisory services have significantly higher fees than compliance service. With an average fee of $2,351 per client. The industry average for individual tax preparation is $459. So what that means is that tax planning and advisory service on average, provides four to five times more revenue and has four to five times more value than tax preparation. Here's some interesting stuff. Tax planning and advisory fees, on average, are five times more than tax prep fees. I, I just said that. 75% of tax firms surveyed deliver tax planning services. Here's a sad thing. Only 62% get paid for those services. Ooh, Ooh that's a punch in the gut. So more than one-third of of tax firms out there right now are not getting paid for planning services. And do you think a lot of those conversations just kind of come out just in your standard, or standard, but you're like your generic client comms where it might be an email answering a question, it might be a phone conversation, it might be an in-person meeting where they just, a conversation kind of steers that direction. And then before you know it, you're giving advice. Is that what you when you reference? I would say so because you, yeah, or they don't have a formal process for doing it. Okay. Now, we know on the Mr. R show the importance, right, of tax planning and strategy. I'm going to put you on the spot, John. Oh. Blank percent of tax advisors say they lead with tax planning and advisory service. Now, you know I just said I'm our private practice. That is our go-to in many, many of the talented people here at Taxposium. But blank percent of tax advisors say they lead with tax planning and advisory services. They lead in with that. Um. I'm going to go low. Okay. I'm going to go low. 
I should know. Hello, hello. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna say eighteen percent. Dang, maybe you saw our slides. Is it really eighteen? Yeah, I'm not like on, on the money. Eighteen? Yes. I swear, everybody who was in here, I did not know that. I was, I was almost gonna be a, a smart, you know what, and say like eighteen point two five. So I'm glad I refrained from that. Holy, wow! I'm I'm impressed. I'm sitting up a little straighter right now. That's impressive. Well, uh, you know, if we were in Vegas for the conference, we'd, hit the, we'd just drop the mic right now and go go play roulette on 18. Recording over, we're out. So. Yeah. Okay, so 18% lead in with that. Oh, so I had one fist, yeah. So not a, well, I guess part of the, the and by you say lead in, is that more of their their initial kind of client pitch when you say lead in? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I would say that where when you're, when you're talking to a client really understanding the value of the tax planning strategy, what differentiates you between someone else. Okay. So the lead, that's in, in less than 20%. One in three preparers not currently offering tax planning and advisory services are strongly considering adding it. That's encouraging. Um, so, so anyway, we know tax planning is more valuable than tax preparation. We hear it all the time. But I love to have the stats that really back it up. And that's from Intuit survey. We appreciate them sharing it with the community. And um, really, we agree. We agree. So this is good. We told you about rep status. We told you why tax planning a strategy is valuable and that people want it, especially real estate investors. Now, here's the next thing. How do I do it? How do I do You know, it's like, hey, man, you want to get in better shape? Go exercise. Oh, that's cool. Right. Where do you start? Gym membership. Go for a walk. Go for a run. Step by step. So baby steps, right? Absolutely. Baby steps. So we in our private practice and the, the Mr. R show supports using teaching tax flows four-step process. And that four-step process entails, one, understanding the three laws of teaching tax flow. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Two, understand marginal tax rate marginal tax rates much different than your tax bracket and once you start getting into tax planning and strategy that's going to become really apparent three diagnose your client's situation and then four complete the remaining three or four ttf step strategy aka implement the strategy so let's look at step one. First step when you're tax planning a strategy in my opinion is understanding the principles of tax planning and strategy. Now, you can go out and create your own principles, your own rules. And, and if you can do that, I encourage you to. For our private practice, we've created those three laws of teaching tax flow. First one, cash flow doesn't equal tax flow. What that means is that a lot of times you are running into your client situations where a client says, hey, uh, but, no, they don't have that voice, do they? They might. I don't they might. Maybe they do. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I I I would just uh, sold this property and uh, you know, I got fifty grand uh, at closing. How much tax do I owe? Well, tax pros, you know that how much they get at closing has nothing to do or very little to do with how much tax they pay, right? We've got to figure out what their adjusted cost basis is. Do they have a step up in basis? Do they have closing costs? Um, same with the rentals. If there's anyone out there, if you have, I sure hope you comment on our social media and our LinkedIn and the, and the Mr. and the MRR Institute and have a client say, hey, uh, I see you have a rental property. Um, can, you, can you tell me the income and, and expenses so I can prepare your tax return? Oh, I, I, my mortgage is 700 and I rent it for 1000 
Great. Yeah. That's not how we do tax return work. Right? Right. So that person has a positive cash flow of $300. Chances are they might not owe any tax on that because of the depreciation deduction. So law number one, cash flow does not equal tax flow. Tax flow is the tax burden or benefit of every financial decision or transaction that you have. Cash flow is money that comes in, money that comes out. So we know that, you know, another great one is, is that, hey, sir, uh, Mr. Taxpayer, you, you, I, you buy a new vehicle last year? Yeah, the payment's 900 bucks. That doesn't tell me very much. Right. Right. That just means that you're spending 900 bucks a month. Hey, let me put that on your tax return. $900 says client. We know that that, that that vehicle may have been purchased. It might be eligible for bonus depreciation. Maybe it's leased. Maybe they traded a vehicle in to get that. So again, tax flow doesn't equal cash flow. Number two, tax agencies are your involuntary business partner. So the IRS, or if you live in a state with the state taxing authority or even local taxing authorities, they're your, they're your client's business partners. Um, and, and we know that tax laws are in, encourage and discourage certain behavior. Specifically, we're going to stick to real estate. Tax laws are written to encourage people to invest in real estate. So we need to take advantage of that legally and ethically. And it's probably one of the largest encouragements. It's a big encouragement. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of the most tax-favored industries out there. And when you said that, it was, it was a moment. I should have taken a picture of your face there. <laughs> your eyes kind of squinted down. Your smile just went literally from year to year. And there was that millisecond of pause. So I, I appreciate that and the enthusiasm. So it was, gr- it was great hearing that. So, hey, I'm right. happy to be here. REIs, if, if any of you in the, you know, any tax pros are also REIs, congratulations. You're, uh, you're eating your own food. Is- well, I, you're eating your own cooking. Yeah. Your own cook- Hopefully you're eating your own food or else, you know, you're going to have to get your hands slapped. But <laughs> we, a lot of our tax professionals out there listening know that They've get, they have clients come in and say, I've heard there's a bunch of benefits for real estate. Well, yeah, there are. So let's get acquainted with them. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get acquainted with the five uh, best advanced tax strategies soon. Third and final law of teaching tax flow or pillar. Your tax return is a verb and not a noun, right? If you're going to do tax planning and strategy, if you're going to implement tax strategies with your clients, the tax return is just a result of all the activity that occurred from the previous year. The lack of planning or planning. It's a scorecard. It's a scoreboard, rather. It doesn't tell, give you, it's not the play-by-play or the box score. So the te- your tax return, we talk to our people in our community and our private clients that your tax return is a verb, not a noun. You can either pick your tax by the way you operate and by the decisions you make, or you don't. And if you don't pick your tax, the IRS is going to pick your tax for you. So your tax return is a verb, not a noun. And usually not in your favor. So yes, that's step one. How to do tax planning or step one out of four. Step two, understand marginal tax rate. Now, when we present uh, in our private practice to real estate investors, we really need to talk about marginal tax rate quite a bit. I'm not going to dwell on it here with this audience because you all are tax pros. And if you're not, maybe you just like us. So thank you. Um, But your marginal tax rate is the amount of tax you pay for each additional dollar of taxable income and the amount of tax you save, so you don't pay that business partner for each additional dollar of tax deduction. Your marginal tax rate is not your tax bracket. Okay, so we all know that as tax pros and understand that marginal tax rate of your client. Sometimes you have to use software, spreadsheets to really figure that out. It's not their tax bracket. Tax brackets are static. Tax returns are a noun. Tax planning is a verb. Marginal tax rate is, is a fluid number that can change quickly. Number three step, 
figure out your client's situation. We call it diagnose. And in our private practice, we use color-coded diagnoses uh, using the teaching tax flow system where there are four different diagnoses based on your marginal tax rate. And if you have a high marginal tax rate, which we consider 25% or more, you're a red diagnosis. If you're 20% or less marginal tax rate, you're a green diagnosis. Purple means tax deferral, um, which basically means you're, I'll give you an example. Uh, if you're a purple diagnosis, that means your current marginal tax rates higher than you expect in the future. So you expect, hey, I'm in a 25, I might be in the 22% marginal tax rate today, and I think I'll be in the 10% later. So I'm a purple diagnosis, meaning that tax deduction today is worth more than what, than, than in the future. Now we know the tax rates are going to be going up in the future. So we're seeing a lot less purple diagnoses. And then the final one, probably my favorite gold tax-free income and growth. In pretty much every case we see someone is a gold diagnosis in our system. You can be multiple diagnoses. Most, most clients come to you as a tax pro with a high marginal tax rate. So in our world, that would be a red diagnosis. And most tax strategies, or the red diagnoses have probably the most tax strategies available. But before you could do tax planning and strategy, figure out where you're at. Think about down, if you're a football fan, you need to know the down and distance before you call a play. Don't just start firing off plays until you know what's going on. So step three out of four, figure, diagnose your client's situation, understand that your diagnosis could change from year to year, and understand that you could have more than one diagnosis. Final step. No drum roll. Oh, that, was a, that sounded more like static. <laughs> there we go. That's better. That sounded like a Star Wars character. I wish we could edit this one after if we weren't just pushing it live from here because then I would get a little crafty with the editing, but you know, we'll run with that. Hey, that's all right. I'll give you an A. Um, step four, complete the teaching tax flow, teaching tax flow's remaining three or four step strategy implementation. So what does that mean? That means that we diagnose the client already. That's the first step in the teaching tax flow system. Now we're going to prescribe. We're going to prescribe a tax strategy. So for instance, John, you might be red diagnosis, high marginal tax rate. You might be looking for a diet. How do I read legally and ethically reduce my taxes? I would come up with a several prescriptions for you. Now, medical prescriptions, but tax planning prescriptions. We're going to talk about some of these. Uh, coming up, I know the lead up they for just financial for, health for your financial health. The la then the next step in the TTF process is the IQ test. It stands for identify, quantify. Hey, John, your red diagnosis. I think you, you might want to consider um, you might want to consider doing a cost segregation study on one of your properties. Oh, that sounds good. It's going to cost you five thousand dollars. Okay, well, what's my tax benefit? That's the thing. I don't know. We've got to calculate that. So we have to make sure that something passes what's called our IQ test. It's got to give you a positive tax result. It has to be suitable for you. You have to have the liquidity to, liquidity to implement it. You, there might be a tax strategy that you really want to take advantage of, and you don't have enough cash to do it. And it has to be, you have to be comfortable with it. So if you, for some reason, refuse to invest in any company or, or implement any strategy that takes place in the state of Ohio because you happen to be a huge University of Michigan fan, which I know you're not. <laughs> and uh, you might refuse it. You might say, no, this doesn't pass my God. Not happening, right? 
And then finally, implement. So we talked about diagnose, right? Diagnose that situation. Then you prescribe, send it through your IQ test. Doesn't make sense. And then you implement. The, the, the more complicated the tax strategy, the more people we need to implement it. That, but typically, the more valuable that is. So those are the steps. Now, now the juicy part comes. Now we're going to talk about those top five real estate investor REI advanced tax strategies. And we're going to talk about when to implement them. Alrighty. Alrighty. No, this sounds good. Is everybody warmed up for this? Hopefully. Again, don't be afraid of the pause button. Take a break if you need to. If not, Mr. Procuro, let's ready to rock. Let's hit it. So strategy number one, the 1031 exchange. A 1031 exchange. So we're going to kind of walk through each of these five and we're going to have a format. We're going to talk about what it is, how to do it, and when to do it. All right. So it's the what, the how, and the when. 1031 exchange. That is a like kind exchange that's identified in section 1031 of the tax code. And it allows people to sell one piece of property, sell one piece of real estate in exchange it for a like kind property. Now, like kind is a pretty, there's it's kind of a loose uh, term, right? You could sell a commercial property and buy residential property. You could sell raw land and buy commercial property. There's a lot of different real estate asset classes within that like kind um, definition. So section 1031 defines that. One thing to consider, one major change that occurred with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 is that like-kind exchanges were limited to only real property transactions. So as of January 1, 2018, exchanges of personal or intangible property like vehicles, artwork, collectibles, pans, etc., do not qualify for like-kind exchange per the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And that was issued on um, IRS... Uh, 2020 uh, 2020-265 on November 23rd, 2020. So that's, that's now the 1031 exchange is just for real estate. So how do you do it? Well, there's a lot of rules with 1031. And you know that we had a full podcast episode on that on the Mr. R Show already. But in general, what you need to remember is, I would say your number one takeaway is going to be this. If you have a client that's considering a 1031 exchange, make sure you're talking to them before the exchange even starts to occur. Because once the money hits their, their bank account, or what we call boot, the, the, sh- the, the ship has already sailed. The, the, the opportunity is gone. The opportunity is gone. The other 30,000 foot takeaway is you need to use a qualified intermediary. You, unless you are a qualified intermediary, just being an, an accountant, um, you're not a qualified intermediary. Their family members aren't a qualified intermediary. A QI is a designated entity. Most times it's a title company. It could be an attorney. Um, we have QIs that we use all the time. We, we had uh, um, Asset Preservation Inc., which is one of the best QIs in the country, if not the best. Um, they are the ones that take um, those assets from the sale and hold on to them before they're deployed. And there are a couple rules as far as Finding replacement property, there's a 45-day identification period, there's a 180-day closing, 
there's a bunch of rules within the 1031 exchange that go beyond just this lit that we're talking about today. But a 1031 exchange can really be an awesome tax strategy. Now, when should you do this? All right. You're going to want to do this when your client's looking to change their investment portfolio and they're either a red, purple, or gold diagnosis and they don't need the cash in their pocket. So if they're a green diagnosis per person is really the only person that a 1030 doesn't, one, 1031 exchange doesn't make sense for. You might say, why? Because a green diagnosis is in a very low marginal tax rate. So def to defer that tax might not make sense. So number two, similar to the 1031 exchange, but not exactly, is the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund Investment. So many of us call that the QOZ. Now, this was born with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, and it was much more popular a few years ago because as we get closer, um, as we get closer to January 1st of 2027, the popularity of the strategy is somewhat diminishing. But the what it is, is, is a strategy where you can, like I said, born with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, and it allows you to defer your capital gain portion of a transaction, and you don't have to deploy the entire amount of cash that you receive, similar to a 1031 exchange. The other cool thing is, with this, and I know we're talking about top five advanced tax strategies for real estate investors, it allows you to take any type of capital gain and deploy it into this Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. Okay, so it could be a sale of stock. It could be a sale of anything that triggers a capital gain, right? It could be a, a music catalog. It could be anything. And if you properly deploy it into the QOZ, the QOZ fund, then you receive tax deferral till January 1st of 2027. There's a step up in basis after 10 years, and there's just a lot of interesting and really cool tax advantages for that qualified opportunity zone fund. Now, the cool thing about this is you, 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 the time frame for deploying the money into a qualified opportunity zone fund is a lot more lenient than the 1031 exchange. So let me explain how it works. And this is according to, um, according to the IRS. Eligible gains include capital gains and qualified 1231 gains. Um, and the gains are a couple of things. Gains for tax purposes are recognized till January 1st, 2027. And you can't be from a related person. Um, you, you have to make sure that you're putting the money into a qualified opportunity zone fund. We've seen a lot of clients where, where there was there's a misunderstanding that they could just go buy a piece of real estate in a qualified opportunity zone, but not. It has to be in a qualified opportunity zone fund. If you, it could be a syndication. Typically, it's going to be a um, an, an LLC, LLP, or corporation, and that client is going to be able to um, again reinvest just their cap, all or some of their capital gains. There are some filing requirements. On a personal return, if the um, if you do invest in a qualified opportunity zone fund, you you have to report that deferred gain, and you're going to have to continue reporting that deferred gain on your tax return through 2027. So I would say the QOZF that one gives you more flexibility than the 1031 exchange you, it, because one the timeframes are different, 
Um, and number two, the, um, the ability to not have to deploy all of your money, a portion of it is, is attractive because you might not want to take all that cash and you like your options. Basically. I do like my options. <laughs> yes. So, and it could be, you can actually overlay it with the 1031 exchange if you wanted to, but, um, now when does it make sense? If you have a client that has any type of capital gain, remember I said it doesn't have to be real estate, but any type of capital gain, they're looking to change their investment portfolio and is a red, purple, or gold diagnosis that does not need all or some of the gain in pocket. So again, not good for green diagnosis, but if someone has any type of capital gains, that's different than the 1031, and they want to keep some of that money. They don't have, they don't have to use a qualified intermediary. For, for the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. Um, there are a lot of rules with that within the IRS code. And again, you know, let us know and we're happy to share that, share that with you. Strategy number three, you're going to hear this if you work with REIs a lot, the cost segregation study. John, you hear about this a lot. All the time. Cost segs. Cost, speak cost seg to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Lord have mercy. That's like, a, and, and, you know, talk dirty to you. Like, First time I heard like, this, so I'm not going to lie, I was super confused. But then the more I learned about it, I actually got a little bit more confused. And then you have the aha moment where, like, this makes absolute sense for certain situations. So walk us through that a little bit. Right. So great topic. What the, it's so hard to define the cost seg study. So we went out. Believe it or not, there's an American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals. Ooh, I did not know that. That's an exciting group, I bet. I bet their conference is just as exciting as Taxposio. I might not be going to that one. <laughs> yeah. Let's be honest. They might not want me there. They probably don't want me there either. <laughs> but according to them, according to the American Society of Cost Segregation Professionals, cost segregation is the process of identifying property components that are considered personal property or land improvements under the federal tax code. So as you know, if you buy per, if you buy a piece of real estate, if it's residential, you're going to have to take straight line depreciation over 27 and a half years, commercial 39 and a half, break out the land. But what the cost seg does is it identifies those personal property components. The primary goal of a cost segregation study is to identify all construction related costs that can be depreciated over a shorter life which are five, seven, or 15 year assets instead of 39 years or 27 and a half years. And without getting into a lot of detail, there's a very defined line between structure and land. Absolutely. Right? We know land is not depreciable. We also know with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that if you can reclassify some of the asset that was purchased and it's five, seven, or 15 years, it's gonna be eligible for bonus depreciation, especially for those assets that were purchased after September 27th, 2017. Now speak bonus to me. I know, that is. So that is the what, right? Continuing on the what. So that is a cost segregation study. We're simply segregating out the personal property components and land improvements from your acquisition. This is done after the acquisition and the cost segregation study. And as we talk about the how, the cost segregation study if you're doing it in the year that you purchased the asset, as long as you do it before the tax return is completed and prepared, then you're good. So I'll give you an example. In our private practice, gosh, two thirds of our clients take advantage of tax extensions. Many of them, because we have cost segregation studies that we want to see how they're gonna lay out to determine 
what that deduction is going to be is so we're running cost segregation studies now. So we record this in the summer of 23 and we're applying them to, to 2022 tax year. And this also gives you some flexibility for those of you that are more experienced. You know, you can elect out of certain asset classes. So you could potentially take bonus depreciation on the five and seven year and not and elect out on the 15. Typically, you're going to reverse that. So that's the how. You can either take that cost segregation study in the year of acquisition, or you know we love Monopoly here. You could actually take it in a subsequent year as well. And in, in how you would do that is you would do a form 3115. You'd do an application for automatic change of accounting methods. So John, let's say you bought a property in 2021. Um, you're bozoing around. You didn't make any money. 2022, uh, you hit the lotto, right? You guessed 18. Uh, and then you ran and you hit, hit for, for a million bucks. And let's assume you're a real estate professional also. Rep okay. status, all right? We're, we're stretching it. You're like, man, well, in 2021, a cost segregation study, you were a green diagnosis. You didn't have any money. Now you're a red diagnosis so here in 2022. Now the cost seg makes sense. But you're saying, Chris, this stinks. I should have bought this property in 22. No, my friend, we could take that cost seg and counter for 22 as a subsequent year and do the accounting method change. Okay. So good to know. Not bad. Good remember when you're doing the cost seg study. And everybody remember that I actually guessed that 18% too. So just a reminder of, you know, about what, 30 minutes ago or so we did that. So it was impressive. And it was, I impressed myself. Remember what that cost seg study, you can go, you can go either the year you purchased it or the subsequent year. What's very important to remember is that you um, that you need to figure out. Remember one of the first things we talked about is understanding if your client's rep status, just because you have a cost segregation study and you get a big deduction, doesn't mean the taxpayer is going to be able to take advantage of all of that, that given year. So that's something that we really need to think about. There are some, there is a, something called the short-term rental loophole as well, um, that mirrors a, that that match that uses a cost segregation study we're going to have some additional content on that in the future so when do you use that study when a client has eligible property and you're either a rep status or you meet the short-term rental loophole or passive income and the red or gold diagnosis so again this is something these are these strategies are for the red diagnosis the first three red diagnosis and gold diagnosis looking for tax-free income and growth it has a high marginal tax rate so those are the first three out of four we're moving on to number four, which is income shifting. I love income shifting. What is it? It's moving income from a higher marginal tax rate to a lower marginal tax rate. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> can be accomplished using either related entities or family members. I want to stress legally and ethically shifting income, right? You can't pay your dog. But the dog doesn't have a social number. I know you'd you, you know, you'd love to pay Cooper. I try. You know, I tried, but he's uh, he's not very reliable at times. So income shifting, let's say you have a family member that's doing legitimate work for you and you want to shift income to a child, um, that's fine. Or let's say you have a commercial property that's leasing space to your operating company. Let's say you're a practicing lawyer or you're, you have a, a plumbing contractor, that's income shifting. And you're taking things from that, that higher marginal tax rate. So let's say you're paying self-employment tax on dollars and you want to shift it over to passive income. So that's what it is. The how? Well, depending on your facts and circumstances, these are the things that you should consider. We I already said legal and ethically, right? I mentioned hiring a child, potentially hiring your spouse, maybe implementing an employee benefit plan and hiring your spouse, paying rent, 
if you have a building that you own, <clears throat> excuse me, paying management fees if they're legitimate, using the infamous Augusta rule. I personally think that um, that's probably one of the old, most overrated things because it it's a nice benefit. Um, potentially looking at a private reinsurance program and maybe transferring to assets to an estate or trust of some type. Those are the most common income shifting strategies, which is strategy number four. When do you do it? You do it if you're a red or gold diagnosis and you own rental property or have a business. If you are, John, if you are a w, you have a W-2 and that's your only source of income and you have a child that helps clean the house, you, don't, you can't income shift. You might be a red diagnosis, but you don't have rental property and you don't own a business, so you have no, nowhere you could really shift income to that child. Some limitations there. Yeah. <laughs> now, hurdles. There are some hurdles. Now, you know what? Our friends with the green diagnosis, low marginal tax rate, are getting jealous. They're getting envious. They know the first four strategies really focus on their red diagnosis and the gold diagnosis. And typically, especially with income shifting, you're hoping to shift income from a red to a green, right? You're shifting income to a lower marginal tax rate, legally and ethically. So these poor guys with the red green diagnosis are thinking, dang, what do I have, what do I have to do? Well, um, don't worry. Strategy number five is Roth IRA conversions. Now you might think, why would a real estate investor be worried about Roth IRA conversions? Well, this is where things get paired sometimes. Just like John, if someone's mixing a, one of your favorite cocktails, we call we blend strategies. I'm gonna back up real quick on the um, hit strategy number four again for income shifting. Here's a cool strategy. Let's assume you're, you own a business, your child works with you, legitimate work, they, um, they're your only, only employee. You implement an employee benefits plan. You pay them a fair wage, and then you implement a retirement plan for them that they can contribute to a Roth component. Now, they've really you've shifted income out of your marginal tax rate, and they've implemented their own goal diagnosis. And that's blending, okay? Roth conversion. What's a Roth conversion? Oh, I know. There's so many. There's different types of Roth conversions, and et cetera, et cetera. But according to our friends at Investopedia, Quote, a Roth IRA conversion occurs when you move funds from a traditional IRA, SEP IRA, or saving a simple IRA to a Roth IRA. Now, I believe you can move, you can convert from a 401k also. For 2010, the federal government began allowing people to convert their accounts from traditional IRAs into Roth IRAs regardless of their income. We know that Roth contributions can be limited by income, but conversions are not. So that's the what. You're taking money that's pre-tax and converting it to a Roth account. You're going to pay tax on that conversion at whatever your marginal tax rate is. That's why this is good for a green diagnosis. But you're not going to pay that 10% early distribution penalty. So how do you do it? Well, how do I convert my traditional IRA to a Roth? Per IRS publication, 590, um, and... There's some instructions on there, Form 8606. You can convert your traditional IRA to a Roth by one, rolling it over, or trustee to trustee transfer, or same trustee transfer. So that's the how. You simply go, let's say you're with ABC Bank or ABC Brobert, you have 5,000 in your traditional IRA. You just say, I wanna convert that to my Roth. They convert it. Now again, we're talking about real estate investors here, okay? 
A lot of real estate investors have some assets in retirement accounts from previous employment. So that's a, so you pair a lot of times this Roth conversion with a red diagnosis like a cost segregation study. So let's say you have a successful real estate investor and their income's $500,000 taxable income. They bought a property, do a cost segregation study on it, their rep status, and that cost segregation study comes in at $550,000. So I'm sorry, let's assume their income is 500 and the cost side comes in at 550. They're going to have a net operating loss of 50 grand. That's not fun, right? They didn't even use all of it. That's going to carry forward at 80%. At that point, we'll convert. Let's say they had 100,000 in the Roth IRA. My argument would be convert that IRA today. It's $100,000 worth of taxable income recognition, but it only swings your adjusted gross income to 50 grand. You're, you're probably going to have some at least standard deductions. And you're going to move that $100,000 from a pre-tax account into a tax-free income and growth account for a very little tax. So that comes to the win. Klein is in a green or gold diagnosis. It has significant tax-deferred account balances. It, remember, and we're not even talking about potential RMD-required minimum distributions. can be used if the client has depreciated assets in retirement accounts that are expected to increase in value as well. Finally, <coughs> clients with a red... That's right. Clients with a red diagnosis might consider a backdoor Roth conversion. So, to put a bow on this, we talked about um, we talked about what REIs, real estate investors, client clients expect, how they see value, how to define a rep status person. We define tax planning and strategy. We talked about why the tax planning and strategy is more value, valuable than tax preparation. We talked about the steps to start doing tax planning and strategy, and then we worked through those five real estate investor advanced tax strategies. Holy smokes. That's all I got to say is holy smokes. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, um, I feel like I learn a lot from you just a little bit. So that's kind of the goal, right? Once in a while. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Chris, for, for running through this with us. Uh, we got to get back to the conference, man. Hey, we're going back. Let's do it. Just enough time to record this. So right under that hour mark here, it's going to give us a couple minutes to run back. Um, yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. There's a lot of good stuff here. Any questions you may have regarding any of this content, reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Um, if you were at the event, this will probably post right after as we're kind of heading to Omish for the following week. Um, but hopefully we meet you. So I feel like I'm talking to the, the future version of you if you were at this event. But thank you, everybody, for chiming in. Thank you for joining us here on the Mr. R Show presented by the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute. And thank you, Chris, as always. And we will see everybody very soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging in with us on this episode where we dove into those advanced strategies for REIs. Hopefully you got a lot of information from this. If you yourself are a real estate investor, you work in that space, you have clients that are, we are positive that some of this information you will be able to take back to those clients, those projects, and add some massive value to the relationship and just start building, building their portfolio, working with them to really just improve their confidence in their tax situation. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to our team at hello at mrrinstitute.com. Dot com. That's hello at mrrinstitute.com or shoot us a LinkedIn message or go to our website at mrrinstitute.com 
That's the Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute's website. We'd be happy to hear from you if you have any questions, comments on this show, if you have any other topics you would like to have us discuss on this show as well. We would love to hear them. So again, thank you for joining us on this one, and we will see everybody very soon. The content of this podcast does not constitute an offer of securities. Offerings can only be made through an offering memorandum, and you should carefully examine the risk factors and other information contained in the memorandum. The content provided is for educational purposes only. We encourage you to seek personalized investment advice from your financial professional. For all tax and legal advice, please consult your CPA or attorney. Investment advisory services are offered through Cabin Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Cabin Securities, a registered broker-dealer.